let's open up our Bibles to the prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 7. The words of Jeremiah the prophet, chapter 7, verse 1 this morning, which is right where we left off last week at the end of chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1. Last week we looked at chapter 6 in which the Lord, through Jeremiah, told his people to stop and ask for directions, to take stock of the wrong ways in which they were traveling and instead ask for the ancient paths, the everlasting paths, to ask which was the good way and then to walk in it and to find rest for their souls. But he also sadly said that they refused to listen. They said, we will not. And so judgment is coming on Judah. By now, you might have sensed a theme in the words of Jeremiah. Judgment is coming. Jeremiah was told to say that again and again for 40 years. Judgment is coming. If Judah will not repent, and they would not repent, then judgment is coming. If Judah would reject the Lord, the Lord would reject them. Judgment is coming. They're going to be uprooted. Well, believe it or not, chapter 7 has the exact same message. Judgment is coming. The Lord is warning them and inviting them to repent and lamenting the fact that they will not repent. And along the way, he not only explains more fully than ever why the judgment is coming, but also how Judah could escape it. And from those instructions, we can learn much about how to live for the Lord Jesus Christ today in 2022. I'm pretty sure that this is the longest title that I've ever slapped onto a Sunday sermon in the last 24 years. I mean, Misty had to take three lines to fit it on, your, uh, on the inside of your bulletin notes, right? It's 17 words, this title. It's a direct quote from verse 4, which says, This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Oh, man, that sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds so confident, so strong, so declarative, and it builds. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. There's only one small problem. The Lord, through Jeremiah, says that these are deceptive words. Listen to the whole of the quote from verse 4. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Don't say that. Don't believe those words. Don't chant that. I think the CSB says chanting. Don't chant. Don't make this your slogan. And whatever you do, do not trust these words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Huh. This is going to take some thinking, isn't it? What do you think might be deceptive about these words? Why are they deceitful? 
Why are they, in the words of the King James Version, lying words? Trust ye not in lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. What's so bad about these words? Was the temple bad? Was Solomon's temple bad? Peter, was Solomon's temple bad? No. Remember, it was wonderful. The Lord had blessed it with His own presence. He had put His own name on it. He said, this is my house. Remember when we read about it, the, the construction of the temple in 1 Kings 6, 7, and 8? It was glorious. There was gold everywhere. <laughs> and, and God's holy presence filled it at its dedication. The Lord loved that thing. He called it His own house, His his earthly headquarters. So it's not the temple. Um, is, it the rep- is it the repetition? Is it bad to repeat something three times? Hannah, is it bad to repeat something three times? No. Like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So it can't be just the repetition. What do you think it might be? It must not be the words themselves all by themselves, but how they were using the words. Let's back up and see how Jeremiah gets to verse 4. Look up at verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who came through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. It helps to get some of the context, doesn't it? The Lord has sent Jeremiah out with another message in his mouth, and this time he's supposed to deliver it at the gate of the temple itself. Now, we're not sure when this was. Remember, Jeremiah is, the book is not presented in chronological order. It jumps around between the reigns of Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. Remember, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. It's likely that this one came during the reign of Jehoiakim, the king in the middle. We think that because of what we're eventually going to read in chapter 26. You might want to look at chapter 6 this afternoon. It's a time when Jeremiah was also supposed to prophesy in the temple during the reign of Jehoiakim, and he gets in a boatload of trouble for it. Read chapter 26. And it's quite possible that this is exactly what he he said on that day. But even if we don't know for sure when this was, we know for sure where this was. He was at the doors of the temple itself and prophesying to the people who were streaming in for worship. These folks were very religious. There were lots of people coming to church, so to speak. There were big crowds, right? And Jeremiah, he's at the door. And as they're walking in, he's saying, repent, 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 
Reform your ways. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Here's the deal. It's it's been the deal for Israel ever since Deuteronomy. If they love the Lord and keep His covenant, then they get to stay in the land of blessing. If they forsake the Lord and break the covenant, they go into the curse of exile. That's the deal. It's been the deal. Now, they don't deserve the blessings either way. They don't earn it. It's all of grace. But they don't get the blessings if they forsake the Lord. And they have forsaken the Lord. But catch this. Catch this. This is important. They aren't worried about it. They're not faced. They're coming in to worship like nothing. They're ignoring Jeremiah. Oh, there he goes again. There he goes again. 20 years at least we've been hearing this. Come on. Why? Why are they not worried about this? It's because they think they have an ace in the hole. They think they have a get-out-of-exile card. They've got the temple. They think that Jeremiah is out to lunch. He's going on and on about all this repentance stuff. But it's really no big deal because they've got the temple. Yahweh is not going to let anything bad happen to the temple. He loves this place. I mean, look at it. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. Don't worry about holiness. We have the temple. And more than that, we have what goes on inside of the temple, the sacrifices. Don't worry your pretty little heads. We're good. We're safe. We're fine. We'll be okay. Peace, peace. All is well. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Do you see how these words can be deceptive? You see how these words have lulled them into a false sense of security? Yes, this is the temple of the Lord. But it doesn't work the way you think it works. It's not a good luck charm. It's not a magic talisman or a totem. It's not an inviolable object that the Lord is sure to protect at all costs. So you might want to retire your mantra. You you might want to find yourself another slogan. You might want to reconsider your superstitions and recheck what exactly you are trusting in. Because these are deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. This morning I have two questions for us to ask ourselves to apply this message, this passage, to our lives. Two questions to pray about today, maybe all day long, and ask the Lord to help us to answer truthfully for our lives today. Here's the first one. Number one, what are we tempted to trust in that is actually deceptive? What are you and I tempted to place our trust in that is actually deceiving us It probably sounds good. This phrase sounds good, right? It's very reassuring. And we love to be reassured, don't we? I do. 
And it's a slogan based on something good and true. It was the temple of the Lord. But something can be good and true and misused so that it becomes a dangerous thing to trust in. What might you and I be tempted to misplace our trust in? Well, how about going to church? I mean, that would actually be a pretty close parallel with this, right? I go to church. I go to church. I go to church. I'm good. Or, or maybe a certain church. I go to Lance Free Church. I go to Lance Free Church. I go to Lance Free Church. We are E-F-C-A. Those are the good guys. We're fine. We're safe. I do my devotions. I do my devotions. I do my devotions. I'm safe. I'm baptized. I'm baptized. I'm baptized. I have the right theology. I have the right theology. I have the right theology. Or this thing down here. This is the table of the Lord. The table of the Lord. The table of the Lord. Yours might not be any of those. It might be something completely different, but whatever your temptation might be, it'll be something good that the Lord has given us, but we begin to put our trust in it instead of Him. It could even be our conversion experience. Well, I prayed a prayer when I was younger. I prayed a prayer when I was younger. I prayed a sinner's prayer when I was younger. So I don't have to repent now. I don't have to live for Jesus now. Do you see how deceptive those words can be? What are you tempted to put your trust in that is actually deceiving you? What do you want to be true so that you're hiding behind it? What are the common false, what are the con men, false teachers selling you these days? And you're tempted to buy it. What is for you the temple of the Lord? The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Well, Jeremiah says that the Lord will have none of this. He cuts right through it. Verse 5. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, that's the resident foreigner, like we saw back in 1 Peter, that we are now out in the world, right? If you don't oppress the resident foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. But it's got to be real got to be real. See, Judah needed to get real. They needed to enact justice. They needed to enact compassion. They needed to care for the most vulnerable people living in their land. And they needed to put away their idols. Or they were going to get sent away. 
Yes, the Lord had given them this land forever and ever. He said that, forever and ever. But he also told them that they were going to be uprooted and exiled from it if they weren't faithful to him. It's both and. And look, they weren't faithful to him. Verse 8, but look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless, the temple of the Lord. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known? That's breaking like half the Ten Commandments. And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we're safe. Safe? To do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name, it is the temple of the Lord, has this house become a den of robbers to you? But I am watching declares the Lord. He sees what's going on. And he's rightly indignant about it. Oh yes, this is the temple of the Lord. And they ought to be shaken in their boots if they've acted this way in it. It's a lot like that question that the Apostle Paul asks in Romans chapter 6. When he has explained how amazing grace is and then he brings up that common nonsensical question what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase what's the answer to that one no way right by no means here's the way the logic works we have grace right and when we sin god's so good he gives us more grace so if you want a lot of grace do a lot of sinning Hey, this works. We'll just do some more sinning and we'll get some more grace. We have the temple of the Lord. We got the sacrifices in it. So we're safe to do all these detestable things. May it never be. No. That's not how it works. Does verse 11 sound familiar to you? This den of robbers. Who used that phrase in your New Testament? Jesus did, yeah. He was quoting Jeremiah 7, 11. And he meant there that they were literally stealing in the temple. Here the point is more that they were using the temple as a kind of hideout. A den of robbers means like they go out in the countryside, loot, pillage, and then you Go to your little safety place, your little hideout where nobody can see you and enjoy the spoils of your thievery. Here the point is that they were using the temple as a kind of hideout. We'll do what we want and then we'll hide in the temple and nobody will be able to get to us. Not even God. <laughs> what a deal. We're safe in here. He would never do anything against his earthly home. It's the temple of the Lord. Well, Jeremiah says, I wouldn't count on that if I were you. Look at verse 12. Go now to the place in Shiloh, 
where I first made a dwelling for my name. And see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your fathers. What did he do in Shiloh? What was that all about? Anybody know? Shiloh was the place where the tabernacle was first located in Israel. It was like the first God's place. That's where the Lord's first house was. But now the Lord's house was no longer there. Now Shiloh is a ghost town. Do you ever go someplace where you see a church, what used to be a church, and now it's a dance studio, an event center, museum? Used to be church there, now it's nothing. Shiloh used to be the place where everybody streamed to worship. His house was there, and the Lord flattened it. He's saying, you think I won't touch the, tab- the temple? Well, go up in Shiloh, Shiloh, see what I did there. Don't hide behind the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, when the Lord of the temple is calling you, and you refuse to pick up. You keep swiping left. This is what's going to happen. Verse 15. I will thrust you from my presence just as I did to all your brothers, the people of Ephraim. They're going to be uprooted. They're going to go go out into exile. And Jeremiah was not allowed to ask for anything different. Listen to these shocking words in verse 16. So do not pray. He's talking to Jeremiah. So do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. That's scary, isn't it? The prophet is not allowed to pray for his people. I'm thankful that the Lord never says that to us in the New Testament. At this moment, the Lord was saying that it's too late The verdict was in. There will not be any more clemency. They have passed the point of no return. Now, I wonder if he actually means that Jeremiah can't pray that the Lord will go easy on them. Not that he can't pray that they repent and be restored. Just that he can't pray for more time, more patience, more leniency without their repentance. Because if he did, and the Lord gave that, it would be absolutely unjust if he did that. Just look, verse 17, do you not see what they're doing in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers light the fire, and the women knead the dough and make cakes of bread for the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Do you get the picture of what's going on? This is what Judah has gotten to. The whole Israelite family is involved in false worship. They're doing family ministry, 
but it doesn't look at all like faithfulness to Yahweh. The whole family is making these little worship cakes in the kitchen for the goddess Ishtar of Babylon, also known as Anet or Ashtoreth or Astarte. Probably the planet Venus being worshipped as a goddess of war, of love, and of fertility. And mm, boy, are these little queenie cakes good. Mm, mm. We make them, we pass them around. It's something the whole family does together. They're, they're probably either in the form of a woman or maybe a star. And you want me to pray that I go easy on them? I don't think so. They're provoking me to wrath. And at the same time, it's hurting them too. Verse 19, but am I the one they're provoking? Declares the Lord. Are they not rather harming themselves to their own shame? This is what the sovereign Lord says. My anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, on man and beast, on the trees of the field and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. And you want me to say, and you all want to say, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I don't think so. You want to keep bringing your sacrifices and pretending that makes everything okay? Into the temple, bringing my sacrifice. Woo! I love church. After church, we're going to enjoy some queenie cakes. God says, well, go ahead. Be my guest. In fact, tuck in. Eat the sacrifices yourself for as much good as it will do you. Look at verse 21. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Go ahead. Add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. You might as well. Even though that was totally against the law of Moses. For when I brought your forefathers out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices. But I gave them this command. Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. A life-changing relationship with God. Walk in all the ways I command you, that it may go well with you. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask what the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Don't just trust in the temple and the sacrifices in the temple. No, repent of your sins and walk with the Lord. If you don't, you're making a mockery of the temple and the sacrifices in the temple. Here's the second and last application question for you and me today. Number two, are we really willing to change? Are we really willing to change? It's not good enough to just mouth a religious slogan. It's not good enough to just go to church. The Lord wants our hearts. The Lord really wants our real hearts. Are we really willing to change? Remember what he said back in verse 5. If you really change your ways and your actions 
and deal with each other justly and do not oppress the immigrant, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. It's got to be real. can't just go through the motions or trust in the slogans. Now, I love our slogan here. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the gospel, right? Amen? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Woe to us if those are just words. If we don't actually keep the main thing the main thing. If we say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and go around living unholy spiritual lives. It's got to be real. Not perfect. Far from perfect. But genuine. Authentic. From the heart. Are we really willing to change? Judah was not willing to change. Look at verse 24. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. From the time your forefathers left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets, from the Exodus to the end of 2 Kings. You can't say I didn't warn you. But they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their forefathers. Stiff-necked. You ever pick up a kid who's like really mad and upset and out of whack, and they're like, you can't hold me, right? That's them. That's Judah. Stiff-necked. Now, these are religious people. These are people streaming into church, and really inside, they're stiff-necked. They're not willing to change. As they're streaming into church, they've got their hands over their ears. Verse 27, when you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer Therefore say to them, this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to correction. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. Mourn for them. You can stop praying for them. Mourn for them. Cut off your hair and throw it away. Opposite of the Nazarite, whose long hair was holy. Just cut it, you might as well just throw it away. Take up a lament on the barren heights, for the Lord has rejected and abandoned this generation that is under His wrath. Here's how bad they've gotten. Verse 30. The people of Judah have done evil in my eyes, declares the Lord. They've set up these detestable idols in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. In the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, they have set up Idols to gods who are not the Lord. Well, of course he's going to clean that temple out and he's going to have it torn down. Worse even than that, what they're doing outside the temple. 
Verse 31, they have built the high places of Topheth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. This is unthinkable to incinerate your own children in the name of worship, to sacrifice them to Molech. Manasseh did this child sacrifice. He was grandfather to Josiah. Josiah fixed it. He stopped that. Apparently under Jehoiakim, it was back. And it was an abomination to the Lord and brought his hot anger. Verse 32, so beware. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call it Topheth, shameful fireplace, or the valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury the dead in Topheth until there is no more room, a, a cemetery for the guilty. The whole city is going to die and the bodies are going to pile up. Then the carcasses of this people will become food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and there will be no one to frighten them away. I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voice of bride and bridegroom in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem for the land will become desolate. There will be no more weddings, just funerals. And there'll be so many funerals, there'll be nobody left to conduct the funerals, and the bodies will just pile up. And then the enemy's going to come and unbury the dead. Chapter 8, at that time, declares the Lord, the bones of the kings and officials of Judah, the bones of the priests and the prophets, and the bones of the people of Jerusalem will be removed from their graves. They'll be exposed to the sun and the moon and all the stars of heaven, which they've loved and served and which they've followed and consulted and worshipped, laying there under the queen of heaven. The powerless, useless, helpless queen of heaven. What did she ever do for us anyway? But we made her all those cakes. They will not be gathered up or buried but will be like refuse lying on the ground. Wherever I banish them, all the survivors of this evil nation will prefer death to life, declares the Lord Almighty. No more joy, just gloom. No more dignity, just insult, just shame. Judgment is coming. And the people who survived the sacking of Jerusalem and the tearing down of their temple, the ones who survived will wish they were dead. So don't say to yourselves, don't worry. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Not for long. Not for long it isn't. Get real. Not for long. Judah was not willing to really change. What about you and me? Are we just pretending? Or are we we just going through the motions? Do we talk a good fight, but there's no reality underneath? I don't mean, do you have your act together? Because I'm sure you don't. I know I don't. But I do mean, are you hiding behind a religious veneer? Are you trusting in a good thing 
that cannot save you? Are you acting like you have a get-out-of-exile card that excuses your unrepentant sin? Or are you real before the Lord and really willing to change? To allow Him by His grace and for His glory to make you like His Son? Those are not deceptive words.